Hi, welcome to the Holes of Your Mark podcast show. Today, I am talking to Kevin Eads, Dark Moon Press author. Kevin was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He graduated with degrees in history and political science from Indiana Purdue Fort Wayne, where he served as a student body president was active in Psi Kappa Filter Fraternity. He had received his Judeus Doctorate from Nova Southwest University, where he focused on international law. A lifelong fan of the horror junior, he began to tell his own story with the 2011 release of The Amulet of Elizabeth Barfrey for Dark Moon Press. Since that time, he has released Lord Byron's Revenge, Dracula's Disciples, Return to Camp Hell, that, that tour doesn't taste like pork sausage, among others. Kevin is also the host and executive producer of Eerie America Travel Guide of Macabre, a travel documentary with Dark Moon Productions. He's currently writing and soon to be directing a horror film adapted from his book, Dark Asylum with Rudolph Rodolph Infirmary in Winchester, Indiana, for summer of 2016. He's probably done that by now. Best author of the world, Kevin Eads, is of Dark Moon Press, Paranormal Society Award 2017. Kevin Eads, January 15th, 2018. It was official author. Kevin Eads has been the best author of the world award for Paranormal Award. Society World. He is nominated by Alison Ford for the most competitive of 16 characters on Paranormal Society World's website, even with a series of successful titles, including Fountain of Blood, True Legends, and Eerie America. Kevin New Paranormal Road Trip was up against some stiff competition. Nominations for Paranormal Society Awards were due in August 1st, 2015. Voting was open from November 4th to December 18th. Results delivered between 28th and 15th. Hello? Yep. Paranormal Society World is Society for Demonology, Psy- Parapsychology, Paranormal Phenomena, co-founded by Parafalls Paranormal Research. That's okay. And he has done loads of numerous and wonderful books. Too many for me to even mention on this podcast at the moment because I would be here all day just mentioning the books. (laughs) I've certainly done a lot of writing. Now, can you tell me what inspired you to write? my childhood. I grew up on a farm in northern Indiana, and when you're young and you live on a farm, your imagination can run wild. So I began there, you know, just running out in the fields at night or in the old buildings, the old barns, the cre- you know, the creepy old buildings, the corn cribs, the chicken coops, whatever the case may be, the sheds. There was, there was so much to explore and so much to uh, unwind your imagination. I would also read and watch scary movies. I started watching uh, those with my mom, who watched those with her mom growing up. So 
a lot a lot of that inspired me and I didn't really start writing until uh, my days as a teacher uh, college instructor and I think that kind of helped too because you meet so many strange unusual people it can really influence you uh, in your writing on a day-to-day basis I was, was going to ask if because uh, most people who do write base uh, characters not completely on people they meet but the traits of the people they meet Absolutely. I mean, some of my lead characters, I put a lot of myself into different parts of me, sometimes what I'd like to be, sometimes what I was. Um, A lot of the lesser characters, I put a lot of my friends in, or sometimes, you know, ex-girlfriends, students, whatever the case may be. Yeah, a lot of of my characters are based on either myself or people I know. Absolutely. What made you choose horror? I just grew up loving it. You know, it's just... uh, and I think it started with some of the comedy horror and the things like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, moving into the classics like the Hammer. I love the Hammer horror movies, you know, uh, Christopher Lee's Dracula, uh, what's what's his name, Peter Cushing's Baron Frankenstein, things like that just really inspired me. And I think also uh, horror can be used um, as a metaphor in so many different things in life, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, your everyday existence. You know, sometimes the worst monsters are just the people we deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, I remember watching a film years ago, I think it was called The Monster Club, where they had different stories, and um, at the end, I think they turned around and said, well, the worst human, amongst of all, is humans. Yes, it definitely seems to be. We... uh Don't get me wrong, some people are the best, you know, there's the best in some people, but there's also the worst. And the interesting thing, especially with the characters you deal with, uh, sometimes the people that you think are the best are the worst, you know. That nice old lady next door that bakes cookies for the kids could be the one who uh, murdered her family 20 years earlier and and skipped town. You you never know. It's it's the... um, the insane, you know, and then the uh, the people that are grumpy could be the ones that are, you know, giving to so many charities and trying to help so many people's lives. You never know what the character is behind the person. Well, when I read your book, I could I like the style you do it because I, 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 you almost write it as if you want the right the, the reader to be totally involved from the minute they they you start reading the story. easy but you know it's one of the things I do is I work a story out in my head um, many times I, I don't sleep well and I don't I don't know how many writers do I mean I don't uh, <laughs> we di- I just uh, lay in bed at night and I run an idea over and over and over again until I finally pass out and then I I write it down and I work on it and but yeah you want to have a good uh, a good introduction I have a friend of mine that uh, he's a, a noir writer named Les Edgerton and he wrote a book on that you know the hook how to get him hooked instantly when you do your characters in your head, do they become quite real? Yeah, sometimes they end up in my dreams. <laughs> so they absolutely do. And um, 
they're, they're very interesting, you know, uh, to me at least. But at the same time, not just the characters, I think that sometimes the settings are a character as well. Like, I wrote a book called The Dark Asylum. The short stories there were set in, like, old infirmaries, hospitals, prisons, orphanages, uh, tuberculosis units, places that people are sent against their will, basically. And in those, you've got the old, kind of like in the old horror movies where you had the old haunted mansion or the old dark house or whatever, and the house there has, is a character in and of itself. I don't know if you've watched the recent uh, Netflix adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House, but I forgot what they called it on there, but in there, the house is the character, you know? Yeah, I have, and I, I quite agree with you. I, 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 I think, I, I like the, I like horror, I don't mind the old slasher films, don't get me wrong, or the odd gory film, but I think sometimes they've gone too much over the top. I much prefer storylines. I mean, my my favourite type of horror film, and going back to what you said about political comment, is zombie films. Because you can make people say, "What do you mean political comment?" But if you watch the zombie films carefully, um, you can relate it to like the Cold War or what or whatever you seem to like. Because basically, they're probably the easiest films to set up. as you mentioned the zombie film is uh, a distrust regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on I think there can be a general distrust of government so people I think especially in the modern films believe that governments could be you know creating such a virus I'm not saying it's it's happening I'm just saying people will believe that so that also makes a lot easier of a sell for the movie do you, or a belief do, what, what do you think of the current um horror movie gen- genre that's being released at the moment? Honestly, um, I don't think they're... I, I'm not as fond of them as I like the old ones. I'm, I'm a... I'm a lover of the ones from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, anywhere from you know, the old Universal classic horror to Hammer Horror to Amicus Films to Tygon Studios and things of that nature. Um, since you're in the UK, I mean, you had so many amazing studios putting out such amazing movies. Today, there's a lot of, you were talking about slasher and gore. Those are okay once in a while, but there's too much of it. The, the same thing with the, what did they call the, the subgenre, torture porn, you know, hostile and things like that. I don't enjoy it. I liked the conjuring and the conjuring 2 because i thought there was a hearkening to some of the older horror films from the 7 the 60s and 70s there the uh but as a rule, it's it's very hit and miss today. I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff out there that's direct to video, but uh, the stuff that's being put into the theaters, uh, not as much. I was hopeful uh, Universal Studios was trying to do their own, you know, like Marvel does with the Avengers with their horror classic horror characters, and I was I was hopeful for that. But the last Mummy movie didn't do very well, and I think they're waiting to do the next Bride of uh, Frankenstein was supposed to be the next movie in the series to try to really make the script work. I'm hopeful for the future because I know there's a lot of great filmmakers out there and a lot of great writers and a lot of great stories to be told. It's just getting getting them to the right studios, uh, if that makes sense. A lot of the, the big studios today are, are just looking for the cheap movie, you know, the one that costs very little to make, so the sets may not be as lavish, the story may not be as good. Well, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, again, as you said about 
Hammer House of Horror. I mean, basically, most of the films were filmed in one location. Yeah. They used yeah. one house, they hell of a lot. Lavish sets on at that location. You know, they had beautiful sets. And that's what makes them classic. Interesting thing, they didn't cost a lot. I look at the uh, the budgets on the old Hammer films, and they were not that big. Of course, they would reuse the sets and you know change them around a little bit, but they were able to make things um, for you know a reasonable amount and be very profitable. So, and American audiences, you know, we loved it. We would <laughs> we would devour uh, anything coming from Hammer, or as I say, your other two, what was it, Amicus and Tigan Studios, that were making similar films at the same time. I, 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 um, have you, you said in your, um, when I read your bio that you was in the process of making a horror film yourself, is that correct? We're working on it, yes. Um, with, with anything, you've got to get your budget together, and that's what we're working on right now, trying to get the budget and, um, and the financing. That's the problem with any independent horror film, you know, getting that financing. But we have a great location, um, an old, I can't say where, but I can just say it's an old asylum. It's a beautiful um, old uh, Midwestern infirmary from the turn of the century. And there's such character and such beauty in the place. It's, uh, as we talked earlier, when a building is a character, this building is a character in and of itself. We have, you know, actors that have expressed interest uh, and such. I can't get into too much detail because of, you know, contractual obligations, but there's there's been uh, interest in, from some very um, good actors and such. Yeah, um, I also noticed that you um involved in paranormal societies, is that correct? I was part of uh, the Indiana Ghost Trackers in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana for a number of years, and we started a new group called the Historical and Paranormal Society of Indiana later uh, with some members of the group. Unfortunately, I ended up moving to Florida, and I, I haven't found anything down here, and the truth is I'm trying to move out of Florida as soon as possible. It's too hot down here. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, I've had a lot of involvement, and uh, went to a lot of interesting places over the years i also worked on a show it wasn't picked up but it, uh, it was based on our book eerie america where we were doing like macabre tourism and we were getting to go to places like uh, uh lizzie borden's bed and breakfast or the haunted uh saint uh, augustine lighthouse the myrtles plantation in saint francisville louisiana and a bunch of other places so i've had a chance to explore some really amazing locations over the years have you had any paranormal experiences yourself? Um, the only, the only a couple, and they were mostly, it was in a little town called Albion, Indiana, close to where I grew up, and there was an old prison that was turned into a museum, and we had some uh, interesting EVPs come out of the, uh, out of the area there, but. Unfortunately, in all my time, that was probably the only place we ever collected any real evidence. We've, you know, we've gone to places that we were enamored with, but it's, you know, when I, when you're watching the TV shows, they act, a lot of them they they show that stuff is happening all the time. But I think a lot of people that do a lot of, you know, day-to-day -day paranormal research don't have 
as many experiences as they'd like. I personally have had a near-death experience in my life. What was that again? I'm sorry, Mr. I, I personally have had a near-death experience in my life. It was, uh, I, I can't say it's scary because basically I was in an induced coma because I had a blood sugar levels at the time of one, two, four. And whilst I was in my coma, I heard a woman's voice I'd never heard before or since telling me to wake up. And I had an overwhelming feeling to wake up I've never had. I know some people can point to science and facts and say it possibly could have been a nurse or whatever, but I do seriously believe, and this is my own personal belief, that it was my guardian angel. And whilst I was in my coma as well, I was neither in the real world or the next world. That's why I like to say, aka Ghostman, because I think I touched my own version of heaven. I don't think there is a set heaven or hell. I think we have our own private Heaven and hell. Wow, that's that's fascinating. Oops, sorry, I think I heard a dog in the back. <laughs> that's okay. No, don't worry. My dog's fast asleep, looking at me, thinking, "Oh, he's up again." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they are, and they're not the hounds of hell, so we're okay. <laughs> I, I, I remember. Do you remember the film? Um, a uh, Hammer horror film, uh, The Hound of Hell, where it's, I think it's a Doberman dog they used. Sounds familiar. That's one I have not seen yet. I've seen as many as I can, but that's not one I've been able to get my hands on. Oh, please do watch it. It's a very fascinating film. I like, as I say, I like also, like you said, the comedy versions in films, It's uh, horror films. There's some great comedy, um, like Shaun of the Dead. That's a great comedy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the reality, if it makes sense to you, a lot of it, you see why it's comedy. Because some of it is so, some of the characters and some of the monsters we created can be, to many people, silly and over the top. So why wouldn't you laugh? The idea of, and I'm not saying to everyone, I'm saying to some people, the idea of a vampire or the idea of a zombie is insane. So why wouldn't they laugh at such a thing? So why not make, you know, a comedy based on such? Shaun of the Dead was brilliant. It was an amazing movie. Uh, then again, it's also, you know, the cast, the director, they had everything working <laughs> for it. Well, I, 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 as I say, um, I was Yes, uh, it was, I lost my track of thought then. Uh, da, 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 comedy, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's important that we, uh, that the, we, we, when we watch a movie, we, we like to be involved with the characters because we all know it's pretend. It's like reading a book. We know it's a, we know it's a pretend world, but for t- that two hours or three hours, or whatever it takes you to read a book or watch a film, you suspend your belief in that time. Exactly. And if the film is good enough, you end up going out thinking, oh my God, I better bring a cross. You go home touching the cross or you think you're a lightsaber in your hand or 
you've got a gun in your hand and a lasso or that kind of thing. Right. No, there's some movies that you'll you take home with you and you'll have, at least I have, you'll have nightmares about them or you think you'll see one of the characters from the corner of your eye or whatever. Yeah, some do such an amazing job. Um, and others don't. You know, you, you come home from some and you're like, wow, that was just... Rubbish. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. How did they yeah. get that made? <laughs> yeah, I, I watch sometimes I'll watch a film and I think, why did they make that? I didn't get the plot yeah. at all. You know, they or they do the Hollywood ending, as I call it. It's a great film, it really, really good story all the way through. And then they decide to do the Hollywood ending. Right. I can see that. We uh my grandmother came from France, she used to always talk about that, you know. Um we joked about the French ending, which was often more realistic and uh, often, what would, what would we say, um, depressing often. We used to joke about the French ending versus the American ending, as you'd call the Hollywood ending. But like a lot of the Hammer movies, they didn't end on a high note. Have you ever watched, a, sorry, have you ever watched a bizarre film, one of my favourite bizarre films I ever watched? It's about a man who turns into a beetle. Oh, met- metamorphosis. No, I have not. There's the, I think there's the French version. I think it was made in France, French originally. Don't quote me on that. And there's the, I think the American version. I would recommend the French version because it's so bizarre. You, you're thinking, what? Because this man slowly turns into a beetle, and. One of my be- the be- most favourite scenes in the whole film is he's in an elevator with people as a, as a beetle. A large one or a tiny one? No, a very large beetle. Like, oh my God, scary beetle. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I could just imagine at the end he's just a tiny beetle and gets crushed by somebody's shoe. I just think it's a, that's a, such a, a, a surreal moment. I would definitely recommend it. It might even influence a future book. <laughs> it's quite possible. I get influenced by a lot. As I say, a lot of my biggest influences have been European horror from the 50s to 70s, but I'm influenced all over. I just, uh, I wrote uh, for my upcoming book, wait, I, I don't know if it was in True Legends or if it's my upcoming Sagwin Tales, um, that was basically based out of uh, memories of the news of watching the Falkland Islands War, basically putting a, a vampire in the Falkland Islands, just one of these remote places that uh, very few people have ever gone to, and it just I found it fascinating, and I'm like, this would be a perfect place for, you know, a vampire, you know, that's so... Um, uh, remote and so far from the rest of the world because the character of a vampire you are kind of remote and you're so far removed from the rest of the world so why not put someone you know in a place like that and of course there's a lot more to it but elements of uh, war and a conspiracy and this that and the other I imagine when you write your books you have to do a fair bit of research into the locations absolutely because you know I've never been to uh, Romania or 
horrible, Gary. I hope to one day. But a lot of legends, you know, of uh, creatures of the night came from Central and Eastern Europe. So you need to research, you know, the geography, the diet of the people, the culture, you know, this, that, and the other. You go and you, you learn everything you can. So when the characters are there, you you know what you're talking about, you know. My, I, I'm a student of cryptozoology. And um, that's a very bizarre world. And I understand. And, and we, we, when we research things, we have to look into the lots of things. I mean, most people think cryptozoology is about the weird and wonderful monsters that everybody like Bigfoot and stuff like that. But basically, it's also about creatures that have been found recently, as well. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's what I was just checking. I could have sworn I, I heard something to that effect. Oh yes, I mean, when you look into cryptozoology, there's a lot of things called folklore, and as you know, um, with folklore like like Dracula and werewolves and things like that, there's the people say, oh, there's no truth in it, but you think, hang on, there is always an element of truth behind it. Werewolves basically started from the fact that the people are born that can grow excessive hair. And if you saw someone walking around with excessive hair back in the dark ages or before internet, <laughs> um, you would think, you would say, oh my God, that's a werewolf. Or someone being... say with the uh, raising from the dead I had a great grandfather that was declared dead and rose off his deathbed people could see that as a vampire you know well uh, vampires um, a lot of that mythology starts with Vadley and Paler right because basically he was a very nice guy if you upset him he just hanged you on a cross and bled you to death I said, Bradley Impaler was a very nice guy. If you went round for dinner and upset him, he would uh, put you on a cross and bleed you to death. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, fascinating character that a lot of this was based on. Um, Elizabeth Bathory as well. I mean, you can see why people could believe in vampires after what she was doing and um, what was in Hungary during the time that she was there. And also, if you look at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, a lot of that, what was said back then, some of it's come true now with um, transplants. True. And even being able to create organs from, you know, what is that, from stem cells or whatever? I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but, there's yeah, there's so much going on uh, that, yeah, absolutely. She couldn't have even imagined, I don't think. <laughs> I think in some way that book may have influenced them. In looking in, into the subject, I know people think that'd be silly, but you think about the storyline. Basically, it's um, trying to recreate a person and make them come alive again, and the, and they use the limbs and things like that. And they must have thought, "Hang on, I wonder if we could actually reattach a limb to someone and make make it 
make someone be able to walk again or um like face we got um you got people now that you can reconstruct a face right and they've done i believe hand transplants and things of that nature so they yeah there's a lot of that that's going on so that's when you can that's when you can mix real life with so-called myth yeah no absolutely and uh, you'll probably see a lot more of that. I mean, as you look at her book and, and what science is able to do today, um, yeah, who knows what's next. And I, I'm a great, um, I like the book 1984, mostly because, all right, some of the predictions are a bit wrong, but some of them you think, hang on, Big Brother, tick, political correctness, tick, government's in chaos, tick. I said, I said, I like the book 1984, basically because right. you can look at Big Brother, tick, political correctness, right. tick, uh, governments in t- trouble, tick. <laughs> there's a lot of forecasting yeah, no, in absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, no, there's a lot you can see, um, and uh, that's been going on for quite a while. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what political correctness is like your end, but I find it quite. Um, bizarre about certain things you're not allowed to say or speak about. I think, hang on, when did that come suddenly become a problem? If why should it be difficult to mention about a person's skin color when they are that color? I don't know what it's like uh, in uh, where you're at. I think it's there is still some of that here, but there's also. Uh, protections under the American Constitution, so a lot more is allowed. Uh, people will still be criticized. People can still be brought down by other forces, but not per se by uh, government, if that makes sense. But again, I don't know how it works over where you're uh, currently living. Well, it's got a little bit more silly. It's an overreaching government, uh, regardless on what's, what side. I think that you can be overreaching government from the right or from the left, obviously. Um, anywhere, you know, uh, here in the States, uh, in Europe, and, and all around the world, there's all types of, uh, there's all types of uh, changes coming that uh, we couldn't have imagined, you know, even 20 years ago. Well, it's, it's I like... I mean, I know some people are going to think this um, bizarre, but I always relate to the fact that your current president, Donald Trump, is, um, I think he took a lot of influence from people like Hitler. I don't mean that he is like Hitler in any shape and form, but like the way Hitler was able to incite a crowd with his rhetoric. Also, I think there was a book, you're familiar with the book, The Prince, you know, it was written by Machiavelli all those years ago. And I think just about any political leader now uh, seems to read it and gets what they they want out of it. But yeah, some people can fire up a crowd uh, and fire it up negatively. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, I'm careful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's why I said it. I I can get away with it, but you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm over here. They can just, all they can do is give me a slap on the wrist. Over there, they might say, Sorry, Mr. Kevin, you'll, we'll have to take you away to a nice little place in a little white room and lock you away and never see the daylight ever again. I don't want that. No, I also know that I'm just, my point is I've got fans from all over, so I'm always very careful, you know, treading in some in certain issues. When I write, I'm very, uh, I try, to, I, I have had some political stories, but they bite both sides of the aisle. So I, because I, I think that's another thing, very interesting that politics and horror should go together. They, they are a perfect match. I wrote a, a story that, um, that still doesn't taste like pork sausage where I mix the elements of uh, politics and horror together and again I always think it would be a great uh, somebody needs to do a movie where they do something like that uh, blending politics and horror I think it's a perfect combination can you tell me a little bit about Dark Moon Productions what's that can you tell me a little bit about Dark Moon Productions Oh, okay, that's the uh, film company that uh, I've been starting with my co-producer and publisher, Eric Werner, um, and we, the first thing we worked on was not picked up, it was uh, Eerie America, Travel Guide of the Macabre, where we, we filmed uh, a couple episodes, we did, uh, we filmed in Salem, Massachusetts, we filmed in St. Augustine, Florida, and we filmed in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, and we would, the whole concept was kind of like the travel guide for the Adams family, you know, where unusual places to stay, you know, hotels that have unusual haunted themes, creepy themes, whatever, restaurants the same way, uh, tourist attractions, shops and such, and we put it all together, but unfortunately, I think a lot of the television networks don't look past, they think it's paranormal, even though it's not, and they lumped everything together, and the sad reality is if a network thinks something is paranormal, they're likely not going to be picking it up now. So, and even though we were not, they were not able to uh, see the big picture or look outside the box, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, um, as, as people are listening in, they probably would like to um, access your books. Whereabouts could they access them from? is Dark Moon Press, so you can go on darkmoonpress.com, and all my books are available there, and you can also pre-order my upcoming books. Uh, you can also find them, obviously, in places like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but I would recommend the first place would be uh, darkmoonpress.com. And, and as I said before, you're a very prolific writer. Yes, I, uh, I think part of it... Um, I had so many ideas in my head, and I had I had just done a lot of writing for a number of years, um, and just uh, I have a publisher that's willing to uh, put it out. You know, they're like, "Hey, good idea, I like it." But you know, there's a lot of writers like that. I mean, I'm not I'm not as good. I'm obviously, I'm no Stephen King. I'm not as good as him, but he puts a lot of books out as well. You know, creative types, our mind doesn't rest, so we just keep writing and we keep uh, putting stuff out as often as we can. There, are, but there's also amazing writers that only put out one or two books in her life but that one or two book was that that one book or the two books were just you know gold <laughs> well I, I try to write as well but I find it even when I write a short story it's it's trying to keep the story flowing because like you say you get like a block sometimes 
And you think, oh, where oh, can yeah. I, where can I go from there? And that, that's why I appreciate creative thought because I like to do. Well, you might not know. I I also do a bit of horror hosting as well. I I have that's a awesome. I have a character called called Ghostman Horror Host, and he talks something like this. Welcome, my friends. How have you been? And he's like a very creepy. Those are the best. He's a very creepy sort of clown-like figure. I'll send you. I'll send you a podcast version of my of what I've done, so you'd see what you think. Oh, I'd love to see that because I love stuff like that. I grew up. I mean, in the states, we had you know it was Elvira was the one that was so well known that was more national. But you had your local ones as well, and um, yeah, I, I love that. That's, that's always always a lot of fun. You want to look up a friend of mine called Bobby Gebmunster. Bobby, what's the last? G A M M M M O N S T E R Gebmunster. He does a lot of um, online horror sh- horror hosting shows. That sounds interesting. I definitely have to check that out. He's done. I've been a guest on his uh, film, and we did Tales from the Crypt. The original from uh, the nineteen seventies. Yes, the original, not the remakes. Never remakes. Okay, very good. Well, you know, the people here in the states don't know about the originals. <laughs> no, it's, they have. I'm a classic. Yeah, I, classic, so. yeah I have to explain to the kids sometimes. I say. No, that film wasn't made back then. It's the original one. Oh, don't be silly. I said, look, I'll go, I'll go online and find it deliberately. Look, there it is. Look, Dracula. Dracula dates back even before the early... It was even made um, the most famous silent movie one. That's the fur two. Yes, exactly. Now, that was... Uh I think it was Amicus Film Productions that did that one. They uh, they did a lot of those collection stories. Good movie. I like the thing I like about the classic horror um, silent movie films is because a they couldn't they couldn't rely on speech. They had to create a better atmosphere. They had to grab you in. I know the special effects now. Caligari does that so well. Uh, you, you, the um, I know some people say, "Yo, the special effects aren't great," but you're thinking, "Well, that was the special effects of the day." <laughs> it was amazing for the time. Yes, I mean people laugh now at the back going down the, the zip lines. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I look at uh, the cabin of Dr. Caligari, and he did such an amazing job with that movie. You know, it's definitely the atmosphere and the eeriness are are. Uh, I think you should. Do, I I've got an idea for a character that you've probably done it. I would do like a silent movie star who comes back and looks at the modern age as, a, but he he's obviously like a vampire or a something because he's able to come back. That is an interesting idea. closest I did was one who produced movies um, in a different era 
but not quite the silent. He was more in the 40s and 50s. But that's an interesting concept. Yeah, I think I think he's. They were beautiful films, some of them. Uh, the sad thing is, so many of them are lost to us. We've only been able to see a handful. You know, so many of those films were lost or destroyed. You know, in fires and such. And, and there'll be a lot of great films that you and I would never get a chance to see because they're no longer with us. It is a shame. I. Uh, I, I and and sometimes I see films that have been um, re mastered, remastered, and sometimes they I don't know what it is. Sometimes they lose something. I can't explain what they've lost, but it seems to be they've lost at the essence of the film somehow. Right, I can see that absolutely. Well, sometimes they tried to add color, and the black and white works. It's what makes it works. It, it, the shadows, the light, the things they did, it, it's, it's what made it work. If you add the color, it's not going to help that film. Um, when you started making color films, then you learned how to make a good color horror film. But when you're making black and white, you made a good black and white horror film. And a lot of what worked was those shadows and that. And, of course, the music. In any of these movies, the music is a character in and of itself. Oh, yes. People forget that. But you look at the, the greatest music I, I, I still like to this day is um, The Omen. That do, oh, do, yeah, do, do. Do, 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 do. It's like that. Ooh. It creeps you out straight oh, away. Great. It really creeps my you. Favorite, my favorite music was also one of my favorite uh, vampire movies, The Fearless Vampire Killers. Uh, There's Roman Polanski's. Uh, is also, I think in Europe they might have called it Dance of the Vampires. And it's, uh, oh, the music is amazing. It's They use like a, a choir, and it's just beyond, it's eerie it's creepy and it just adds to that whole uh vampiric atmosphere as you say, there's lots of these things that people don't as you say underestimate in in films i think music is one of them also scenery if you use a good scenery yes. you know like you yes. see um, the shining in the host the hotel that the, the hotel yes. the hotel is the other horror actor in the film yeah and this is what I think a lot of people don't look at but the trouble is when we see films like like the original Saw I like the original Saw I like the storyline but now it's got like the Freddy films it, they, they got absolutely daft once you start making the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, uh, most of the time they just they get worse every single time, you know. Because you basically they, they run out of ideas, don't they? They think, oh, what can we? How can we kill them now? Exactly. Oh, we'll put them in Manhattan. Or we'll put them. Uh, we'll have them come back from hell. Well, he's already, you know, I don't know. This is, I'm trying to think of like the Friday the Thirteenth. They, didn't they put him in space at one time? Yes, something? he was in space. Just... Yes, uh, I like that one. It was so bizarre. I thought, hey, hang on. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I like the original Halloween. And I think they've done the official second version with Jamie Lee Curtis re recently. Yes, it just came out. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. The original was very good. And again, part of it's that music. It's very minimalist, but it's still very... Uh, 
draws you in. And the acting was good. Jamie Lee Curtis is a great actress, you know. She, her, just like her mom, started out as a screen queen, you know. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you've got to start with things like that, haven't you? Also, but again, story is good. Uh, you have to have a good story or, or people aren't going to keep coming to that movie, you know? My favourite Halloween is the one where Freddy, um, the character Michael Myers isn't even in it. It's basically the one yes. with the, to the toys, you know the one I mean, where they're creating toys right. and masks that the kids become um, uh, like devils. Oh, that's the third one. Yeah, that's actually not a bad movie. It's very interesting. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah. It's, it's the most controversial one of the whole lot. Because people say, oh, I can get it. And they think, well, it's actually tapping into Halloween. It's the Halloween yeah. tapping into Halloween. It's basically telling the story of the kids, how they go around just trick-or-treating. You know, there's there's those people that don't like anything different. They don't want anything to stray. It's the same thing when it comes to your favorite comic book character, and they put him on the big screen, and, and somebody doesn't like just one little thing they did different between the comic book and the movie. And it's like, you know, if you're making a movie, you're going to take some liberties. You can't do everything exactly like you're going to put it in the comic. If so, I think they did it once, and that was with Watchmen, and it didn't, it didn't sell, you know? <laughs> Well, as you know yourself, if you made it when you make a, your film or your book, you won't be able to do the whole book. You probably have to do a uh, not what I won't say watered down version, but you have to probably take some characters out because they probably will work so well in film as they would as you read right. them. <laughs> or, or you add others. Yeah, you have to make things work for the film. Absolutely. Um, you got You have to make changes. You can't do anything. It's it's very difficult to make things exactly the same. And many times when they do, there's something lost. If that makes sense in the film. Yeah, and that's why I think people don't understand. They see that they watch a film of a book, and then they read the book and say, "Oh, the book's completely different." Well, I thought, well, of course the book's completely different because, as you say, you've got to build up the character. You've got to build up the. The feast, the fit, you know, keep the flow going. As a film has got, the film's got two hours to condense it all. Exactly. So, I don't know. You're, the reality is, you're never going to make everybody happy. But, um, you'll, hopefully, you'll make enough people happy. Well, I think it's, as long as the author's behind the book, if you're making the film and the author's doing a bit, helping the scriptwriter, and then you can see at the end of the film, scriptwriters, say, Kevin Eads and someone else, you're going to think, oh yes, he he helped write the script, so you're going to think, oh, there's a lot of the original book in the film. Sometimes people don't realize how many drafts you go through. Too, you may your first draft may be so close to the book, and you're like, "Well, this doesn't work here, so we got to make this change here." Okay, we got to make this change here. Um, when you don't get me wrong, I'm sure in the old Roger Corman movies they did back in the 50s and 60s, he might have done one or two uh, screenplays only, one or two drafts. But most movies, you go through a lot of drafts. You know, a, a movie could go through who knows, five, ten, fifteen drafts before it actually gets you know put up uh, and started filming. So, 
Well, before I go, I know she's asked, I, I don't like to do a unique sign-off on my show. Would you like to do a unique sign-off? What? Do I like to do what? A unique sign-off. Well, um, when I sign a book, for instance, I always say, C'est la nuit, which means seize the night. And I did that because of Stan Lee when he signed everything Excelsior. And I'm like, you know, if Stan Lee does that, I want to do this. And so I always just say, C'est la nuit, which means seize the night. And uh, please, people, uh, please look up uh, these fantastic books. I read a couple of uh, uh, chapters on my podcast. It received quite well, and I think Kevin liked my version of what I read. Absolutely. Very nice. Thank uh, you. It's not a problem. Right, and here's my sign-off to you. Are you ready? <clears throat> Thank you, Kevin, for being on my show I like horror you know it's one of my favorite things to watch and to read about so all we can say is don't be scared listen to it too awesome and I'd like to say thank you my friend thank you very much my friend I appreciate you